Drogba in der Mitte, da Schneider, Schneider Hello, hello. Welcome to the Lion's Den, a Golf Sarai podcast done by the community for the community. Today, I'm your host, Emre, and this is episode 68. Before I get in and talk about anything with my co-host today, I would like to wish everyone from around the world a happy Republic Day. Today marks the 100-year anniversary of Turkey. We say our thanks to Ataturk and those who left us our beloved home. May they rest in peace. We will be talking about our performance against Bayern Munich and our away performance to Riza Sport today. Let me introduce you to my one and only co-host, my boy, my neighbor, Yasin. Brother, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. It's always good to be on the podcast with you as a host. I appreciate Maybe, that, bro. You know, I, I do enjoy it. It's just the two of us today. And while I'm missing everybody else, it's also nice to kind of take a lot of the conversation with just the two of us. So I look forward to it. There's a lot to discuss. A lot of ups and downs we witnessed and experienced this week as fans. And I look forward to getting started with that. Yeah, you don't got Summit here to cut you off every five seconds, right? And call me a fan about your fan. Exactly. <laughs> well, I can call you that still. So you, you can call you're not me, safe. but you, you don't abuse it. <laughs> yeah, I pick Summit, my fights. Summit, on the other hand. <laughs> He's always thinking, how can I turn this into a Fenerbahce argument against Yasin? Yeah. It is but yeah, Summit couldn't make it. A few of the boys couldn't make it. Summit has uh, fatherly uh, duties. So we uh, say our eyes to him from here. So Yasin, how you been, bro? I'm good, man. Like you, I said, you... I, I, I'm good. It's, it's a little rainy here in New York. Yesterday was a very pleasant day. It was sunny. It's been pretty chilly, windy for the last few weeks as we head into the winter, slowly but surely. I mean, we're still in the fall. Don't want to get too carried away, but it has been a bit chilly. Yesterday was sunny. Took took advantage of the day to uh, do some outdoor activities. Well, actually, not even outdoor activity. Uh, with, with, my, with my family, we painted the shed, which was a whole day process. Nobody's interested in that, so I'm not going to spend more time. What color is your shed? <laughs> I ended up going ahead with green. It's like oh a green. Oh my god, yes. It... What's wrong with green, man? Please tell me. Green. Oh, it's like a nice like olive vine leaf green. In the future, I plan to, you know, redo our exterior of the home to like a blackish greenish color. Um that that's that's what I like, man. And Why not yeah, red and yellow, bro? <laughs> oh, okay, I see where you're going with this. Uh, it would stick out maybe a little bit too much. See, that's that's a problem, right? We, As much as we love our colors, red and yellow just doesn't work with everything. You're not going to go out in the streets and wear red and yellow every day. You're not going to go ahead and paint or buy red and yellow products that you can use all the time. Excuse just... me. If I see anything red and yellow, I'm copping that. Listen, Emma, I've seen you. We've hung out several times. I've never seen you wear red and yellow clothing unless it was a golf side jersey. So don't give me that. There you okay. go. <laughs> well, that's a jersey, man. 
I've seen red barns. You never seen red barns or red wow. sheds or okay. whatever. I, I didn't say anything about that. You said red and yellow. I'm not painting the shed red and yellow. Well, I thought of, I thought about red, but that's that's like a very classic looking barn shed, and our our shed is right next to our home, so you see it from the street a little bit behind the fence, and I don't know. Red might be a little bit too much. Like even like. Buying a car to all those who have red cars, I mean, it looks good, but red just pops out a little too much for me. You know, it, some people like that, but I, I don't like that attention too much. So just, I'm, co- I'm cool with the green that I got. I use, I, I showed you a picture. I think it's pretty nice. No, it's nice. It's nice. I got to say, <laughs> it's a little too close to uh, other team colors, but uh, nah, bro, nobody's green. Don't give me that. I mean, uh, maybe Rizzo Sport. I know you don't like Rizzo exactly. Sport, but- well, we'll talk more about it as a sport, God how much we don't Reza like him sport. in a little bit. All right. So, Yasin painted his shed, but <laughs> other than that. Nobody we, gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I care. I care. Okay. So, Yasin, before we get into anything, do you have anything you would like to talk about? Do we have any news, anything you'd like to speak about? No, I think there's already enough to speak about in terms of the two games we had this week. Uh, fortunately, we were in Europe, and that means playing midweek games. Mm-hmm. In this case, against Bayern Munich, so we'll talk about that. In terms of news, um, I, I think it's worth mentioning. We've, we've as fans, known that Wanda Nara, Icardi's wife, has been sick. He's been missing sometimes, I think, in the preseason there are times where he has to go visit his wife and there was rumors that she was sick, but nothing officially came out. Uh, I think it was announced today or yesterday on her own Instagram story that, and she says, quote, I have leukemia. At first, I was saying I have this disease. Then I was saying, to, oh, then I was able to say that disease. Now I call it by its name. And that's very uh, emotional. It's very sad to think about. It's, you know, it's cancer at the end of the day. These things, you you approach it by sometimes not accepting it. You know, your body and your mind don't want to accept negative news sometimes. So you refer to it as something else. You try to avoid it. But it looks like Wanda Nara has accepted what she has. And that's a great first step. I'm sure she is getting the care that she needs. We know Icardi is... If he loves something, if he cares for something, he does his best to help. And, you know, I think she's in good hands, I hope. And we, we wish her the best. That's all we can say. She's she's a Yenga of this club. Uh, happened to be the Yenga, you know, the wife of the man that we love a lot in this club, which is Mauro Icardi. So, wishing patience to both Wanda, Icardi... And they're, they're one, two, three, four children. So five, I think, actually. They have three three boys and two two girls. So I think so. Wishing, wishing them all patience, and hopefully she recovers as soon as possible. That's that's really all I have in terms of recent news. Yeah, I hope uh, Yenge gets better, because without Yenge, we wouldn't have Icardi right now. Because if I recall, Adam Timur had to convince Icardi, and he did that through Wanda. So our Yenge is the reason why Icardi is here. So we got to show her love. And hope she gets better. Absolutely. So, Yasin, with that said, the Bayern Munich game. All right, man. I I, want to start this off. You want to start it off? I'm just going to, it's a quick thing. Okay. 
I am very upset with myself and I would I, I am criticizing myself. I hate myself for this. As a disclaimer, I'm about to talk about this game, but I did not watch the game. I made the mistake of scheduling a very important meeting for work. I think it was three, four weeks prior to the Bayern Munich game on the same day. Tuesday is a work day. It's midweek. How would you do I that? I have work. I fucked up, man. I didn't think about it. I did not think about when this Champions League game is going to be on a Tuesday or Wednesday. I did not plan my meeting according. Usually, I plan it according to Galsai games. My life is revolves around Galsai. As, as embarrassing and sad that is to think about sometimes, we are fanatics. And I'm sure all of you understand when I say this. I made the mistake of scheduling a very important meeting that I could not reschedule. So I had to go into the city for work and I had to spend multiple hours of my day during this meeting. But fortunately, for what it's worth, and this is actually a cool component to my analysis today, I was able to listen to the game. The Champions League website, they have a radio channel that they they put the com- they allow you to listen to one game. They they pick one game. It happened to be the Bayern Munich Gala game that they put on their radio. So I listened to the entire game while I was working. And holy shit, Emma, listening to the game is the craziest experience. Like obviously Why? watching it in person is completely something else. Watching right. the actual game on TV is something else. But listening, I did not expect to feel the emotions that I did while listening. Because no, I'm listening. So I don't actually see the positions that we're getting into. All I hear is a commentator in English speak about what's going on often with like a small delay and that's because you know the commentator has to see what happens and then he speaks on it oh did we just get an opportunity did Icardi just turn around and shoot it's a little bit delay and the reason why I mentioned the delay is because add the fact that you hear the fans in the background the whole time holy shit and I have to ask you now did the fan were the fans as amazing as they sounded to me on the radio because I kid you not, every little thing, whether it's, I, I, I just, exp- I, I envisioned the entire game almost perfectly, as perfect as I could without watching it, thanks to the fans. I knew when we got the ball in a tackle. I knew when we passed the ball into the final third. I knew when we were about to shoot on goal, and I knew when we missed something. I knew when Bayern Munich got the ball and they were attacking because the fans would go quiet and they would start whistling. Like they, they, they were just perfect in reacting to the game moment by moment. Did, is that how you felt watching it as well? Or were you so focused that you didn't even notice? You know, the I was so focused because let me preface this by saying when we went into this game, I didn't really have too much in terms of hope that we were going to play and beat Bayern Munich. And let me tell you, Yasin, it is not just the fans. The, fa- the fans was an product of our game. The way we were playing, I've never seen I play this type of game in my life. Even during Fatih Tim's prime era, we've, we've played uh, many teams, many, many teams, big teams back in the days, right? Mm-hmm. But doing this against, bro, Bayern Munich couldn't leave their own half for a long, long time. The first half statistics, I don't have it up here with me, but we had like 16 shots on goal, okay? 16 shots. Now, if it were 
if we were more clinical with our shots, we would be talking about, you know, a 3-1 win for us, potentially. But, unfortunately, this is the football. This is the football. Mm-hmm. We lost. But, to your, to, dude, the fans were very good. Very, very good. I can't, like, props to them. But one thing about the fans that really did upset me is when we went down a goal, when it was 2-1, they completely lost all, like, enthusiasm, hope, etc. And I think that really did put like a negative strain on the players. Like, oh man, we're going to break down. The fans don't even believe in us anymore, you know. Instead, it, what we could have done as fans is just, you know, encourage the players to keep going, not stop. You know, mm-hmm. still whistle, still, you know, push the team forward with their energy like their energy i understand like throughout the whole first half they were kind of going off they could be tired but that's what we're there for man we're there for to be the fans to be the 12th man so they were good in the first half but they were kind of a letdown in the second half yeah that that's a good point you mentioned and I, i don't know why that is the case i as I said last week, I went to two games in Turkey. One was against Samsung Sport where we won 4-2 and the second was Copenhagen 2-2. Even in that Samsung Sport game, I think we were winning 3 nothing at a halftime. And then they made it, I think it was 3-1 or 3-2 and they were trying to catch up on us even though we, we were clearly the better team and at home. Even in those moments where Samsung Sport were catching up on us, our fans went quiet. And especially in the Copenhagen game, it was 2 nothing. obviously, until like the 80 or so minute. Our fans were quiet, way too quiet. If you want your team to come back and, you know, turn the game around, you need to support them. That's a great point you bring up. I don't know what the cause is, but it seems to be a reoccurring uh, event. I hope somebody realizes it. Ultra Sun, as much, as, as much shit we give them sometimes for some things that they do or they don't do, we we really need to count on them to sometimes bring that energy back because if if they lose hope if they go quiet that the stadium is sometimes you know all year is cricket so hopefully we do fix that um so that like like yeah. ho- like compare this game the Bayern game at home versus the game in Manchester United those fans from minute 0 to minute 90 they did not stop whatsoever and could have been the reason why our guys was able to come back not once, not twice, mm. but win the game. Yeah. That's a good point. Right? So, yeah. like, those guys doing it as away fans. Right, let's just be honest. A lot of fans were in the home section of United as well. But mm. still, it's not 50,000 plus people in the stadium. You should, like, there's no excuse, man. Everyone should have been on their A game. They were on their A game, but I feel like, you know what? I hear a lot of people say they call them chikidikchitaifa. They're just there mm-hmm. to enjoy the game and just not like, just chill, be on their phones, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There might be a lot, and I understand why. Ticket sales are going up. Not ticket sales, ticket prices. Ticket sales are also going up, but the prices might be too much for your average fan, that diehard fan who will go whenever, whenever, wherever. Mm-hmm. Right? So it might, opening up a different demographic for them to come and watch the games and it might be the issue why the fans are not as strong as prevalent as they used to be i i completely agree with that and something that i've noticed at the games when i go to it you know there's there's a uh there's a contagious element to it as well if if 
you're in a large section of casual fans that do love the club, but they aren't the type that is constantly screaming. It's hard to get a group like that moving with only a few very hardcore fans that try to sing yeah. and yell. And once there's this panic feeling, whether we're, the other team is coming back or we're losing, people are so busy just like holding their breath. You know, they're, they're too busy, you know, clenching their asses that, you know, we're going to come back. They, they don't try to start that uproar. You know, when you're in an away section, as you mentioned in the United game, not only are those our ultras that have priority and they're the ones that almost always scream and sing anyways. Yep. When you're in a smaller group like that, it's easier to get a larger group altogether going. You know, all it takes is maybe 10, 15 ultras in that group to start singing and everybody's going to follow because the ones that don't are going to stick out and they're probably going to get called out for it. But when yeah. you're in a big stadium like this, it is a little bit more difficult to your point when there's more Chegadek to fans. So... It is what it is. Uh, even though it's a negative thing, you know, trying to put a positive twist on it, we're making a lot of money on ticket sales. So just the Bayern Munich game alone, you know, the cheapest tickets were hundreds and hundreds of dollars slash euros. That's that's a lot of money for this club. Um, I hope it continues like that, but we figure out a solution to the the panic atmosphere that sometimes is created. But props to the uh, the players then, right? Because the fa- the, the players despite this panic atmosphere that's sometimes created, they're able to pull it out of themselves and still come back, right? So huge props to them and the captains that we have on the field, whether that's Mauro, Cardi, Musleta, or Kedem to be able to carry the team during times like that. So Yeah. One big criticism that people have, I know John would be here telling us, you know, first thing going into this uh, podcast would be Kedem. So Keram is is an interesting character, man. Keram is always giving it his best, hundred percent every game. The kid's always running, always trying, always looking for that open space. It's just that one thing he's missing that's really keeping him back from being that that top player, and that's his finishing. See, during the the, the Bayern game, I was kind of having this discussion with John. He missed. A pra- like practically open net, right? It wasn't completely open like some of the shots that Umut Bullet missed back in his heyday, you know, where it's like absolutely no keeper there, right? No, there. This was the Ulrich was on the ground and he had two people on his on on his sides, right? And so and the way the ball landed, it was across from uh, Sasha Bowie into the box. Ulrich put a hand to it and it landed in front of Kedam. Now Kedam is a right footed player, that's why he plays on the right wing. I mean, sorry, left wing. It landed on his left foot and he panics. See, that's what the, that's the biggest issue with Kerem is he panics too much. And instead of controlling the ball for just that one split second, he immediately tries to knock it into the goal while leaning back. You know, it was an awkward situation. And a lot of people are upset with Kerem because he did the same thing again against the Riza game. This time the ball was too high and he, instead of trying to do something else. He's trying to hit it and he like blasted it into space. What are your thoughts with Kerem, Yasin? What do, what do you think? Man, uh, where to begin, right? Because I, I think we do have to be careful with how we go about this, but also brutally honest if need be. Kerem, you know, just to set the scene right, Kerem is a Turkish player. One of very few actually good Turkish players on this team. And when I say good, 
I'm not necessarily saying Icardi level good or Sacha Bowie level good or Torrede level good, but he's a good player. Most teams, especially in the Turkish League and many European clubs would love to have a player like him. He's that good. Yeah. But, you know, when, when Galatasaray, you know, especially with what we've done in the last two years, the players that we've brought in, the goals that we put in place thanks to visionaries like Erdan Tumor of succeeding in Europe with the players that we bring in, then you start to reassess the players that we previously said were great or good and now we hold them to different standards right champions league standards today versus europa league standards last year versus no european standards the year before that so things have changed and with that our fans are now potentially and probably over criticizing the players that are otherwise very helpful to our team and the biggest um uh, the the player that's receiving the most of it is Kerem in my opinion and i think we talked about this before and something tells me we'll keep on talking about this for the next rest of the season is his consistency whether that's finishing as you just mentioned or his ability to pass people call out Kerem for you know, sometimes being too tunnel vision. And I say this all the time. That's why I don't like him at number 10. Sometimes he tries too hard to look for Icardi. Sometimes he doesn't make the easy pass to Zaha when he is wide open. Instead, he tries a shot from distance, which to his defense, he has scored bullets, rockets, beautiful goals from distance many times before. But because of where we are as a team and the team that we did build with the quality that we built, Sometimes Kerem's mistakes and his lack of ability to take advantage of the situations that arise, to your point, the tap-in that could have been versus Bayern, that would have changed the game completely. Or today versus Rizespor, a close yesterday versus Rizespor, a game that he could have put away, but he didn't. And we were clenching ass once again and had to, you know, we finished one nothing, but now we were criticized because the goal we scored was apparently a foul. Either way, we need to score these goals and we need Kerem to pick it up. Now, that's a criticism. I think it's equally important, Emre, and I would like your opinion here as well, is to talk about his goods. And what is that? His press. I don't think there's anybody on this team that covers as much space in the attack and midfield in terms of pressing and ability to help in the attack with passing and scoring as much as Kerem. Mertens can be... A candidate, because last year he was like the press mat, like machine. The amount of he goals was. he scored he from was. his presses alone. I agree, but I didn't just say pressing. I said his ability to also score goals and assist. While yeah, I agree yeah. completely with the ability to press from Martins, his age is catching up with him. For and sure. So, and with that is his ability to score. And, you know, like... One thing that excited me, when we, not to get off topic from Kenan, but when we got Mertens, his ability to shoot from distance was exciting. Outside the box, right on the edge of the box. These are the areas where Mertens has been lethal for years at Napoli. This is what he was known for. He wasn't known as a guy who presses a lot. He was known as a guy who can make key passes and shoot from distance and score goals as a little winger that he is. Yeah, that's he the has, thing. He was yeah. a winger at Napoli, but he was playing number 10 at Galsaray. That's true, but I think that he still he still finds himself in chances to shoot from distance, and he just doesn't have that strength in the shot, the placement that he once had. 
he completely makes up for his pressing. So I still think he's a strong asset to this team, but not to the point where I think maybe he should start over Kedem. I think he can start over Kedem sometimes, but if I were to pick one or the other, most days I would pick Kedem because of his ability to press. And you have to tie that to how Okan Buruk, our coach, wants this team playing. And that was exemplified in the Bayern Munich game. We pressed the hell, the living hell out of Bayern Munich. You said they couldn't get out of their, their own half. And that is because we pressed them. You know, maybe Mertens can do that, but I, I, I don't know if he can do everything else that Kedem did in that game. And overall, on average, Kedem does as good as Kedem. Um, but yeah, Kedem's pressing. And sometimes, man, he, he pulls some very nice passes out of his hat. I think recently people have forgot that because he hasn't made those nice passes to Icardi. But, you know, it's something that he can do. You know, he's because he's constantly playing in the middle. You know, like imagine your best position is left wing and the coach comes and tells you, listen, bro, I need you to go play somewhere you're definitely not comfortable in, somewhere you're going to lose more balls and be more pressured. Oh, and you're going to be criticized more right? As a player, what are you supposed to do, right? It's not on Kedam to make room for Zaha. Zaha needs to make that room for himself. That's what pisses me off. It's like we're, we're punishing Kedam for being good on the left wing for someone that, that could be good. And that's one thing that I don't, like, like you guys got to understand, this kid is very adaptable. The fact that he's even doing anything in this position is still commendable. I agree. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, that's that's a tough choice for Okan Buruk too. You bring in Zaha, who has an immense reputation in the Premier League for what he's done for years. And he did what he did playing left wing. You know, prior to the season beginning, if you ask 100 fans, whether they follow the Super League or the Bayern Munich, uh, the Premier League or both, and, they, and you ask them, who do you prefer to play left wing? Kerem or Zaha, they will, 90, 95% of them will say Zaha, if not more. Yeah. That's because of what he can do. That's his primary position. If you have an asset like Zaha, you play him in that position and you make the others work in other positions. You test them. It's the beginning of the season. We can't forget that. I mean, sure, we're now two, three months into the season. So maybe you can argue with me saying it's not the beginning anymore, yes, and It's now we're nearing the middle of the season. We have to know what we want by now. But again, we don't have all of our players exactly fit since the beginning. And that's including Zaha, who we're now trying to decide if he should be playing left wing or not. That includes Ziyech, who we brought in to be a threat from either the attacking midfielder role, number 10, or on the right wing. So our entire front three lineup, not including Icardi, is a question mark. We're discussing every week, okay, once this person's back, once this person's healthy, how should we look? who should play. And then add to that the mix of Tete, who we spent a lot of money on his wages for, even though he came for free. He's He has a lot of potential as well. So you want to play him so you can unleash that potential. The sooner we can get Tete in form and near his prime, the better for us, for both you know results on the pitch, scoring goals and assists, but also so we can sell him and move on and get somebody even better, right? It's a continuous cycle. And then add Budish to the mix. Another relatively strong winger who who provides different uh, strengths that some of our other wingers don't. 
and who has moments of really informed days against big clubs and for the Militakum as well. So it's difficult. And then I'm sure you talked about this before. We're all mad about it. But losing two of our starting worthy wingers from last season in Rashica and Zaniolo. These are not excuses, but these are things to consider when we try to understand why certain players are playing in the positions that they're playing. Kerem is trying to be utilized as a jack of all trades, you know, somebody, a Swiss army knife, if you may, in the attack. We talked about it in our prior episodes, how he played under one style under Terim, another style under Torrent, and he was able to adapt to both. Okan Buruk is a smart coach. He he knows what he wants. When he talks to his players, he's very clear and explicit. This is what I want from you. So maybe he had plans for Kerem. But we did see yesterday, Kerem played the wing, didn't he? So yeah, we'll, he switched. We'll, yeah. We, we, he switched Kerem back to the wing. And he put, uh, who did he put in the middle? Martins. Martins started the game. Yeah. So Okan Hodge is still trying to figure out, but that goes to show you that Okan Buruk is aware of this. He's not simply saying, okay, Kerem is my number 10 for the rest of the season. He understands Kerem, you know, contributes some things that other players don't, but not necessarily the best at number 10, and he switched it up. Yeah. Zaha and him were switching the wings throughout throughout the game against Shizet, trying to figure out where they feel most comfortable whether that was at the order of our coach or that's just them respectfully between each other saying, okay, you try it, you try. Maybe it was according to who was defending them. I'm not yet sure. But, you know, we, we're trying things. We're still trying to assess what our best 11 is with what we have available. Um, but, man, Kerem tries his best, like, to to maybe move on from the Kerem conversation. Yeah, I was going to say, I was yeah. thinking, you mentioned that Okan Buruk, Oh, he's a smart coach, right? And despite the pl- the game that we played against Bayern Munich, bro, just the fact that no team has shot at Bayern Munich in the first half, 16 goal or 16 shots since 2002-2003. And yet, yet, when I look at most people, whether it's media, talk shows, etc., etc., everyone is constantly berating him regarding his... His substitutions. Guys, okay, I understand he doesn't make the right substitutions at the right times. Sometimes he doesn't do it at all. What irritates me is I, I don't understand where this this hate for Okan Buruk is coming from when you have a coach that is providing these like statistics against big teams, okay? Besiktas, for example... We didn't even try that game, and yet we still won. We could have lost. People said, okay, but we won without even trying. And then people were like, oh, if we play like this against Bayern well, Nope, we played 10 times better against Bayern Munich. No one in their mother thought that we would play a game like this against Bayern. Did you think you, we were going to play like this, uh, Yasser? No way. No way. No, no. way. I d- bro, I've seen teams play like this. Like, you, you, maybe a Turkish team, but they'll do it for like max 30 minutes, bro. And then still like concede five goals. Brother, we had like a three XG against Bayern Munich. They had a lower XG. They won in the end. But that comes down to league differences. We were gassed out. I understand that we needed to make substitutions. But I'm looking at our bench. Bro, brother, 
Who are you going to bring in to continue a pressing strategy like that against Bayern Munich? Kerem Demirbay? Oliveira? Who? Who are you going to bring, bro? Ndombele? AKA I mean, Ndombele? To, to be fair, you know, the, the Mertens and Barish are two probably Mer- the best. Okay, the Mertens best came in at 56, bro. 56 minutes. People are complaining. All oh, the team gassed out at 70. You know, people aren't even acknowledging that he brought in Mertens and still it didn't change too much. That because the quality of difference is just too big, bro. Their front four is worth more than our team combined. It's and the league is different. They don't stop every five seconds because the referee is too tired to go on. They don't call stupid fouls. You know, their stamina is at their peak. If our league's quality was there, our team would have been able to go maybe to the 75th, 80th, and we may have found that second goal. And we could have sat back and, you know, countered. But we just don't have that quality. They do. And people keep shitting on Ocon, bro. Where are you going to find a coach that gives you this type of performance? Bro, we only have one loss, um, one game where we lost points, and that was a tie against Kaisidispor. Almost every game that we came back from the Champions League was away, and he won that game, those games, okay? These aren't easy games, bro. Like, cut the guy some slack. Okay, he needs to improve the substitutions. I get that. 100% agreed. No doubt. But, like, try to look at it from a glass half full type of perspective is all I'm saying. And that's where it's, I'm starting to get irritated at this, bro. Yeah, I, I mean, very fair comment. I, I agree with you completely. For some reason, and I think it's not just Okanahoja, but a lot of our players are getting overly criticized. There is a lot of pressure to perform. There are standards, again, going back to my standards comment, we are expecting a lot from this team and our coach. Whoever makes mistakes, they get criticized for. We are we are brutal fans. We don't hide how we feel about the people that we love, our fans, our the own Turkish, fans. The Turkish side, the, the, the coach is Turkish, and the players that are Turkish get the most criticism. And that's not fair, bro. It's not fair. We're very extreme. I agree with that. You know, one day we are loving our player. Next day, we he is getting cursed at. Um, it's it's not to an a extreme level and toxic level like maybe some other fans of other teams in this league. I think we are still quite good. But, you know, being at this level comes with this, you know, uh, you know, this is a territory that we're in, right? We're we have high expectations set by the board with the money that we spent, the players that we brought. We expect greatness. You know, we we are trying to break all types of records, and with that comes over criticism. It is what it is, man. Otherwise, I completely agree with you. Okanahoja is, bro. That game against Bayern Munich, tell me it did not remind you of whether you watched it or you heard about it or you watched highlights of it. The Galsai from the early 2000s, you know, under Fatih Terim back in the day, you know, when we would press, press, press. That is what Okan Buruk knows. And that is what he is able to exemplify on the pitch to his to his players, whether they're comfortable with it or not. Some of these players probably never played that kind of press in their lives before, but they're able to do it and they're able to adapt to what Okan Hoja is asking for. Like that is something that we really need to be proud of. Bro, most of the time, sorry to cut you off, but 
when we see Bayern, we're like, okay, automatic L, right? And now it's like, bro, we had them. We had them. All we had to do was finish our chances, right? That's like big team mentality. If it was like any other coach, I guarantee you, bro, they would have sat back, soaked in pressure, and tried to attack on the counters. Ocon's like, nope, I don't care who it is, what you have. I am going to play my game against you at home. I do not care. And that takes a massive amount of balls to pull out, to do against. Like, okay, Bayern Munich had a lot of missing players, okay. But their quality is still miles above us. And by the way, they're missing players. A lot of them are rotational, like maybe one or two starters and a bunch of subs. Goretzka, for example. Their starting 11 was near what it really is supposed to be. And, you know, to your earlier point about the difference in quality... We talk about these big transfers like Mauro Cardi or Lucas Torreira. Their entire 11 is of the quality that players like Mauro Cardi is or Zaha in his prime. We brought in Zaha, but we brought in an older Zaha. Like he's A still good. A non-functioning Zaha. He's still good, but he's spelly good. He's good to make an impact in the Europe, you know, time to time. But these players on Bayern Munich... You know, these are the players that we're going to wish we had in five, six, seven years in our squad. You know, when they get to 30, they're going to be the new Zahas of what we have now. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're in their prime. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. very good players. Like, we have to consider that. And the fact that we could have put them to bed in the first half, whether we missed our chances or not, whether Kedem should be criticized for the chance that he missed or not, Kedem and our other players and Okan Hoja allowed us to criticize them because we got into these positions. Like, does that make sense to you? Like, No, no, yeah. The the fact that we're even able to be upset that we lost. Exactly. Exactly. How many games have we seen in the Champions League under other players and coaches have we got absolutely demolished? And it was just something that we wanted to erase from our minds because that's how embarrassing it was. 5-0, 6-0 to Madrid or so on and so forth like this is something to be proud of 3-1 you you might want to put the score you know aside erase it from your mind but the play that we we put out the way that we played is not something that you're going to forget people you know it's been almost a week since the game happened and people are still thinking about this game over the Riza game and the three points we got there like that Riza game feels like scraps it feels like you know uh, cheap something cheap because what we experienced in that Champions League game on Tuesday was you know a five star meal that was something that we will never forget you know and that's thanks to the players and the coach like that's that's all I really have to say in terms of the criticism like we can continue to criticize whether it's between yourself and your friends or here on the pod we'll continue to do it but to hate on them is just absurd to me Unless, you know, they really do something that doesn't make sense. And uh, maybe we can get into it a little bit later. But a player that does actually deserve criticism for what they're doing is maybe Nelson. And his reaction to how he... uh, Let's talk about it now, since it happened during the uh, Bayern game. Yeah. Uh, So, basically, for those who don't know, you know, before the game, when everyone is, you know, heating up, you know, getting ready to play... Ultra Asan will sometimes call your name and, you know, you'll do the Uchle with them. And they called Nelson and he did not come. 
he actually just ignored their request. And uh, if I recall correctly, the the stadium announcer started playing like music to cover it up and everything. So, yeah, I don't like what's going on with the Nelson situation. I feel like it's a big, big uh, L on our part for not letting him go. But I I understand why Okan Hoja really wanted Sanchez. You can see the quality that Sanchez has given this team in the last, you know, since he's played, essentially. He had maybe like one or two mistakes, but the amount of balls that he like saves and the way he pushes our team forward, Nelson does not do any of that, bro. Nelson is more of a, I am a safe player. I will be the sweeper. I will not go up and try to tackle anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I see why, but I think it did shoot us in the, ourselves in the foot because now how are you going to sell Nelson? It's, it's unfortunate. It's a risk you always take when you, when you strengthen your squad uh in positions where you already have very good players you're taking a risk and there's really no right way to go about it Emre, because you know think about it this way prior to Sanchez our defenders were Nelson and Abdulkerim and behind them was Kanaihan and Emin Bayram and Metahan right we talked about it before before Sanchez came saying who is going to be our third option do we have a good enough third option where if something happens to Abdulkerim and Sanchez, are we going to be able to trust them in both the league and the Champions League? And the common answer was no. We don't really have that kind of player. Kanaihan at the time was not playing nearly as good as he is now. Now, if you say, can you trust Kanaihan as center back? You might say, well, given his midfield performances, yeah, why not? He'll He's focused. He He's not playing risky. He's, you know... He's playing pretty good. We're we're all overwhelmed. Like you know, would you happy say w- our game improved with Khan Ihan instead of Kerem Demirbay? Um, uh, yes, I think we do look better. I think Kerem Demirbay is able to play a little bit better in the attack. I think he has a little bit more creativity. I think his through balls when they work are better, and he's just a more he's just a bigger threat in the attack. However, Kedem Demirbay was making a lot of risky passes. His his chemistry with his teammates was still not 100% and he was losing a lot of balls in areas that was sometimes risky. We just lost the ball away too often with Demirbay. I think he was finally starting to kind of get his groove. But one day we decided to play Kanaihan instead and Kanaihan took that opportunity and he took the shirt and didn't give it back. You know, how do you bench Kanaihan after the performances that he's been giving? Maybe it's a little bit more defensive, but I feel more secure in the midfield. My my defense already gives me a lot of confidence. Now my midfield duo gives me more confidence. You have to leave it to your final four attacking players to figure the rest out. And they haven't quite done that yet. And that's why we're criticizing Kerem. That's why we're even criticizing Zaha. That's why yeah. even Icardi, of all people, is getting criticism because we're not scoring as good as we are defending. That is what it boils down to, right? Because um, I ask. Yeah. Because Okan Hoja seemed to have made his own paradise almost, his own Vicino. I can see Khan. why. Yes, because Khan, like, I've looked at his statistics. Khan makes 
his passing statistics is very high. Like his success rate is very, very high. And when you see what Kedam does, it just, oh man, you just have a fucking migraine every time you watch this guy play. He makes the dumbest passes, dumbest misplaced passes, and it just irritates you. It just constant, consistently irritates you. Same thing with Oliveira. Non-stop misplaced passes, like simple passes, they can't do it. And then you have Kanahan who just plays like safe. And I can see why Okan Hoja wants, wanted a player like Vicino and Paradise because they also apparently have very high passing success rates. Mm-hmm. And he, he's utilizing Torreira as a number eight. And that's why our pressing was so good when you leave Torreira to go up front to press. I think we're going to make some midfield transfers again come this uh, January transfer window because I don't think Okan Buruk got the players that he wanted, essentially. I agree. I agree. And... Um, you know, we some we kind of made an excuse for that, right? At the beginning of the transfer, and we said, "Listen, we might have not gotten the perfect six we we're looking for in Amrabat," and we criticized Vecino at the time because even though he was maybe the more uh, the type of player that Okonjo was looking for, we questioned his quality, right? We say even the if he's the right well. type of player, contract as well, expectations versus reality. There was a lot of issues that. I understand why the fans criticize, but if I learned anything from this past window, it's you sometimes just have to trust the process and the people that's in charge. You know, yes, they maybe put high expectations in terms of the players that we wanted to get and we thought we were going to get, but they're, they were acting in our best interest and what Okan Hoja was looking for. But Chino, in hindsight now, would have been an ideal transfer. Maybe you would have still criticized the contract, the money, the length of it, but maybe he would have been better because who did we actually end up getting? Ondombele. And Dombele, as quality as he is when he's actually playing on the pitch for the few minutes that he is able to play, he's superb. He's quality. But how about the remaining 90, 95% of the time that he could be playing that he's not? It's been two, three months since he's joined. Okay, I get it. He's He was the last transfer to come next to Sanchez. Mm-hmm, he yeah. were next to Sanchez. Sanchez came and started playing minute one. Yeah, he, he was ready. He was ready. He's ready to go. Let's go. See, this is the problem with making free transfers, bro, because free, they're free for a reason, right? <laughs> no one just gives them away for no reason. And yeah. that's the issue with both Zaha. Well, Zaha, his contract is ending. But more or less, Ziyech and, uh, and Dombele was two free transfers. Also, Tete. You know, I think Okan Buruk took one really big L with his transfer that I know he wanted. And I think, and that was Angelino. Because in the Bayern game, a lot of people criticized him. Why would you play Kazimjan, who played terribly, absolutely terribly mm. against Antalya, against Bayern, and not Angelino? Well... I think this might be a nice segue into the Rizespor game. Why do you? Th- what do you think about him pl- not playing Angelino against Antalya and then playing him in Riza and subbing him out at the halftime whistle? I think, or th- yeah, at the at the half. I'm honestly not 100 percent sure. Now I, I'm probably going to throw the question back to you for your opinion as well. But something that we do need to keep in mind is Angelino is a player, even though we loaned him, I think I think we are going to end up making him permanent. Maybe it's 
written somewhere deep in the contract details that we don't see on cup. I don't know what is going to happen. So, um, according to Urkara Kulukchu, who said he, uh, he got some information out of it, it's not 20 games that he needs to play. It's 60% of the games for the tr- contract to actually go into fruition for the obligation to, uh, you know, trigger. Okay. I don't know how true that is, but there's still mm-hmm. a long way to go. There is a long way to go. And, you know, you need to win a player like Angelino. And just as importantly, you cannot lose a player like Angelino this early in the season. You need to keep these players happy. And you need to allow them to find their footing as soon as possible. That is why the beginning of the season is always so difficult. Because you are balancing uh, meritocracy, you know, Players who should be playing because they deserve it and showed it versus playing players who have the ability to reach a certain level that you know that they can play but have not yet reached that level, if that makes sense. Angelino is a player whose level is above and beyond Kazim Jans currently. And everybody knows that. That's why we spent money on him. That's why... He had a lot of praise before he came, and that's why we got a lot of praise as a club for signing him at his age. This is not because somebody just made it up in Wikipedia and we read it off there. This is this is the fact. Angelino is a good player. He provides a lot in the attack. You know. So current, yeah. Go ahead, finish. That's that's all, man. That that's why we're playing Angelino. You guys will criticize him as a transfer. You will criticize why we play him sometimes, but. You have to win him back. As for the Bayern Munich game, just a quick comment. Okan Buruk probably thought that Kazim John was more of a uh, a sure thing defensively. Maybe he trusted Kazim to Kazim John to return defensively with the energy that he has versus Angelino, who is we know a more attacking player, who we know is maybe a more defensive liability. When you're playing against Bayern Munich and the quality that they have, you're gonna want to play a little bit more careful in the back and trust that your attackers score the goals and you're going to put less responsibility on your, your right back and left back to contribute to the attack. You want them to focus on defense. So that is why he started Kazanjan that last game. And honestly, aside from Kazanjan's mistake, which led to Bayern Munich's first goal, which is admittedly yeah. a huge fucking mistake. I don't think he played that bad. I don't think he played that bad as well. Yeah, That's- I think people, again... Uh, unfair criticism because if you put Angelino there then he does bad they're gonna blame him why don't you just try Kazimjan there you know who's people might argue he might be better at defending but definitely not as good as attacking because Kazimjan is like yeah he needs work there but um, what I wanted to say was Angelino was one of our first foreign transfers right like he came early if I recall Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right I don't know like did they? Did Okan Hoja want someone else on the wing that could have been more compatible with, with Angelino? Because Zaha came way after, like towards the end of the transfer season, right? If I recall, I don't remember the exact date, but he didn't come when Angelino came. There might have been a different transfer strategy there. They might have wanted someone else who we don't know. Maybe the Hoja was gonna get Rashid some play him on the left wing, where he actually played most of his career. We don't know that. But all I know is Orkhan Hoja definitely took the L with Angelino. And if anyone listens to Orhan Ulerja, I love the guy. I listen to like a lot of his analysis. He always said when Angelino first came, 
Angelino is a player that plays as wing back in a three at the back system. So he said, like, I don't understand why Okanhoja bought this guy if he wasn't going to play a three at the back system because no one in Germany wanted him if they weren't playing a three in the three at the back system. Because he can't he essentially cannot defend. He just always has his mind on attack. So I don't know. Again, it's kind of funny. What were our two issues last year? The left back and number eight, right? We still have those two issues. And I think it's exacerbated now because our wings are not functioning. And that let's go into the Riza game. Our wings were not functioning, Yasin. Mm-hmm. Zaha, I don't think Zaha was as bad as people made him out to be. I actually did kind of like his connection with Sasha Bowie in, this, in, in, uh, in the right wing. He gave a lot of good passes where like Sasha didn't like go after mm-hmm. for him to get into the box. And I'm, I, I'm thinking like Sasha's just not ready for those or his, just, his game IQ is not there yet. He's still developing to, to, you know, expect those balls. Whereas Zaha's like, bro, this is like first grade level stuff, bro. Come on. <laughs> chop, chop. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Zaha, like... People are like criticize Zaha, bro. Zaha is like really smart, man. The way he plays, he his like mentality, his IQ in the game is very high, bro. I see it with the passes he attempts, with the runs he makes. Like our, our players, I would say a lot of them just don't know how to play the the game he plays, and that's a product of playing at the highest level for so long. Mm-hmm. Whereas these guys, most of them are not. Like. But I also do want to say I think Tete is going to be another L. I don't <laughs> want to speak too soon, but I don't know, man. I'm not a big fan of Tete. I would be careful with that take only because I think it's early. And I've said this many times before. Tete is currently very raw. You know, he he joined uh, Leicester City, I think last season on loan, as a project in a way. They, they saw his uh, potential at I think it was Marseille or Lyon. I think it was Lyon. Uh, before that, Shakhtar in the Europe and, you know, the, the Russian League, I believe it is, or Ukraine, I forget now. Anyways, um, he's, he's raw. He's not necessarily 18, 19, 20 years old raw, but he's still raw. Everybody goes through their improvements and their big steps at different stages. You see his potential. The goal that he scored versus... Copenhagen, that is pure skill. That ability to score that volley one time, not a lot of players can do that. His ability to, you know, positionally acting on the field is pretty solid. I think it's intact. He he he, he stays wide. He is able to beat defenders time to time. He's able to go in or go around when needed. His execution is off. And whether that's passing or shooting, that's the problem. It's look, it's not. It's not there yet, but I think it's far-fetched to say it will never get there. Bro, he's too one-dimensional, bro. He gets the ball, and he just goes into the middle. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but once you keep doing that, teams will will just not, you know, they'll hold you. Like him against Davies, bro. He got absolutely bodied by Davies. Like Davies did not take anything from him because he's a very one-dimensional. And there were many positions where he could have, you know, played Sasha Bowie into the box with simple passes and he just can't do that because he's always trying to do it with his left uh, foot instead of his right foot. It's just irritating at this point. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Tete is necessarily a player that we should consider a guaranteed starter for us. I think in the beginning of the season, 
we could have maybe thought that way but as time has developed again i agree with you on his execution and his mistakes and to some point you know one dimensional aspect of it but you know when you every summer right just a quick comment we we say let's bring starter level players and let's bring in a couple youth prospects players that we can get for free or for cheap and they're going to become something maybe not this year but the year after or the year after that markel uh sasha bowie these players that we got for cheap at a relatively young age sasha younger than markel that didn't necessarily shine immediately but after a year or two they became very good players they found their own they found their footing at the team and they did not let go of this show. Markow was nice when he first came. Mark, like- Mark, Markow was nice, but he was nowhere near the level that he was the year after, the year after that. He really, really exponentially almost grew with us. And you, know, you saw the quality though. Like you saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, okay, this guy has something. Same with Sasha Bowie. But with Tete, I don't I don't know, man. I don't see it. I think you can still say for Tete in terms of like Look, I'm not saying he's going to be like some amazing winger. I, I I don't yet see that, and I agree with you. But I still think he can be a threat. I still think he can offer a lot with what he currently shows so far. I think he has a lot to learn. But once he gets his footing down, I think he can be players one-on-one. I think he is currently pretty decently built for a winger compared to some other wingers that we have or we've we've seen in the past. I think he has a good shot on his day. He has good finishing on his day. And the on his passes, day. again, the on his day part is what I'm saying. He needs to he needs to uh figure out. He needs to get better at that, right? More consistently. He needs to get consistency. He'll get there after a year or two. His crossing, his passing, the good ideas just not executed well. I want to see those ideas first. And I've seen it so far. The execution, I have to just trust with time that it'll come. And that's all I can say at this point. I don't want to give up on the kid. But I think he's a good rotational player, similar to Budish. I'm just at this point either begging we bring a new winger slash attacking midfielder in January transfer window or Ziyech stays healthy because Ziyech can play that 10. He can play that right wing. And then we can figure out the other two positions according to best fit or you know, uh, rotation. So I don't know if we need another winger because the amount of money we're paying Tete and Zaha is insane. They make like four times the amount, five times maybe. I forgot how much they make. Kedem and Butters, bro. They make peanuts compared to them, but Butters has done a lot. Kedem has done a lot. They've both done more than uh, Tete and uh, Zaha this this year, right? And, yeah. and still they get some of the most criticism. And But I understand they're not ready, Zaha and Tete, but it's the 10th game already, and our execution, like you said, is not there. And that's what I want to point out. We may have beat Riza 1-0 with a lucky deflection from Oliveira. Again, I'm looking at the stats. Expected goals is a 1.93 on Fop Mob. 21 shots taken, only five on target. One big chance miss. Ultimately, that might be the Kerem position. I'm not sure which one they counted. Mm-hmm. Uh, one big chance, one big chance miss. So... What is going on? Why aren't we like able to finish? Even Icardi, Icardi's playing with a needle. Like the uh, uh, yeah, they put needle acupuncture into his uh into his nerves so they numb it, and he's playing like that. Do you like what do you want? Do you have anything to say about this whole thing? Because like yeah, it's too I'm much. Glad you brought that up. I I totally forgot about it. So just some context here, everybody. 
after the Bishkitaş derby last weekend or during the game, Icardi got hurt in his ankle, foot, and he was limping after the game. Everybody was concerned that he'll be out for several weeks. We did not yet know what was going to happen. Uh, the official announcement, I have it here, is uh, peroneal tendon damage, uh, damage and bleeding in his right ankle. Um, looks like some tissue, whatever. It, it didn't look good, but the initial reaction was, okay, he'll be out for about two weeks. We didn't think he was going to play in the Bayern Munich game. Some journalists, reputable journalists, said he's not playing. Some of them said he will potentially play if he gets acupuncture, as uh, um, Emma just mentioned. And that's what ended up doing, right? He, that's what ended up happening. He got needles, he got acupuncture, he played against Bayern Munich. This is a very temporary solution. This is not going to fix the damage that Mario Cardi got. It's going to allow him to play the 60, 70, 90 minutes that he does play. However, he's not healing in this time. Okan Buruk, after the Riza game, said, look, this is a situation. Icardi, for him to fully heal, he needs to rest. However, Icardi is sacrificing himself. He is saying, I want to play. And he's able to play these games. But again, for him to recover, he needs to not play these games. I personally think he should be resting. Because it is a long season and unfortunately Icardi is the reason why we're winning a lot of these games. So it's hard to really say rest him when the guy that you're resting might be the reason why you get one point instead of three. But that is why you have squad You want depth, me to back right? you up? You want me to back you up? The back one game up, we man. tied this season, Icardi didn't start and that was the Kaiser game. <laughs> That's all you need to hear, right? Um it's tough, man. But like to me, I'm a risk averse person, especially when it comes to somebody that I love, like Icardi. The thought of him getting that injury worse than it is currently and missing several weeks, up to more than a month or two, yeah, is very scary to me. And if we do something like that, I will be incredibly regretful. People will be cursing and. If we th if we think what Kerem's getting bad is getting now is bad, what Okan Hoja and the United team is gonna get and what they're gonna hear if Icardi gets injured is gonna be ten times worse. And it is now extremely difficult for Okan Buruk. Unfortunately, again, he is on the fence of do I play my most important player or do I rest him. If, you, if he says, I'm going to rest him, then you have to go to Icardi and tell him, Mauro Icardi, I'm going to rest you this game. And how do you think somebody like Mauro Icardi, as competitive as he is, as much he loves to score goals and help this club succeed, is going to react to that? Tough shit, man. Honestly. So, our next three games, we have Custom Push at home. Potentially, he can rest then, but Kusin Pasha is actually doing pretty well. They're fourth in the league right now, as it stands. Then you have Bayern Munich away, right? Five days after that, and then three days after that, you have Hatay Sport away. You know, what kind of uh, schedule is this? Who made the schedule, bro? We're always playing away after Champions League, bro. I think we play like one game at home after Champions League, and I think that was just Tarab's one game, bro. What is this? What kind of schedule is this, man? <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
But the point is, after that Hatay game, you have the national break. So he's going to have two weeks to heal. I think that's what, that's the, the timeline they're looking at, right? But that's, like you said, it's, it's very risky, not risk adverse. You can lose him for a week now and potentially drop like maybe two points. But in the long run, save all those points because you have a, a fully fit Mauro Cardi. Or you just try to take the risk now. Like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't take the risk personally. But again, Okan Budik is the guy who's going to get the most flame right now. If he loses and... Yeah, I don't know. Okan Budik, fucked if you do, fucked if you don't, you know? That's the type yeah. of situation he's in right now. What would you do right now? Going forward, you just listed the next couple games. You know the situation. Look. What, what would you do? We beat... Um, Fenerbahce B team one one nil Riza Sport. We're gonna play their second their C team Kasim Pasha. So they're gonna play with all their might. You know they didn't like Riza didn't even play fifty percent of the game they played against us against Fenerbahce. Kasim Pasha is gonna go all out as well because they always do. I would probably play him in Kasim Pasha and just not use him in Bayern Munich away game. There's no point. We're not gonna win that game. There's no point. Just take the L and come home. And then at least he'll be rested for a week. And then you can play him at the Hatay Sport game and then let him rest two more weeks after that. That's what I would do if I was Okan. But knowing Okan, he's kind of probably want to win that away game. Mm-hmm. So he might play him all three weeks. I, I don't know. It's also on a card. Like a lot of people are saying, does Okan not have the balls to bench him? It's a good point, right? It's like, I'm the coach. You're sitting down. I need you. But again, Icardi is the superstar of this team, bro. If he says, I want to play, you kind of have to play him. You don't want to piss him off at the end of the day. But again, Icardi is not the type of character to do that as well. Again, I don't know, man. What do you think? What would you do? Not play him at all? I think what I would do, and again, what I would do is considering how Icardi is going to react as well. Custom Pasha, you start him on the bench. You say, look, I want you to be... A little extra rested for this Bayern Munich game. I'll start you versus Bayern Munich because he's going to want to definitely play against Bayern Munich. Start on the bench against Kasim Pasha. Play Bakamba. We have to understand now, before transfer window, what Bakambu is. Because what we've seen so far from Bakambu is not good. And to his defense, he's come on as a sub for little minutes and, in, you know, as a striker, he doesn't have the confidence that he would rather have. You know, as we talked about this, as a striker, you need the confidence. You need to smell the goal. He unfortunately butchered the couple chances that he's had, but I don't think that's to say that we should give up on him completely. Give him this opportunity against Custom Pasha, an Anadola team at home, to start and hopefully find the goals, get his confidence up, and finish the game. Like just because he scores a hat trick, if he does against Custom Pasha, that doesn't mean he's going to become the number one striker. So play him, let him get his confidence and let us see if he's actually somebody that we can depend on in the second half of the season. If not now, when? Because when Icardi's healthy, Bakambu is definitely not going to get a chance to play. I think we can all agree on that. And that's been the case so far. Bakambu has barely had the chance to show himself. Versus Custom Pasha, it's at home. Custom Pasha is a difficult team. It's not the Custom Pasha that maybe we're normally used to. That's a mid-table team. So far, they're in form. But we play at home. Play Bakambu. If we need goals or if Bakambu is not working, put on Icardi. Let him still get his needle, whatever he needs to, before the game. 
and let him sit on the bench. Put him on in the second half if you have to. We can turn the game around 99% of the teams in the league at halftime if Icardi's, if Icardi's playing. So that's how we should approach it. Play him against Bayern Munich. And you said Hatay is what? The last game before the international break? See how it Hawaii. feels then. Yeah, that's tough. Honestly, I'll probably play Icardi then too. But maybe a little early to speak. Let's see how things go. Maybe yeah, if, if they play plays- the way they play against you know other teams wide and open three at the back system that they never tried before in their whole entire season so far maybe we'll also score maybe four or five goals against them too but you know they won't do that so yeah, just, we'll see just context for those who don't know um Hatay Spor has been in immaculate form they were undefeated until last week last week they played against Fenerbahce and they've been playing four at the back all season. They've been undefeated with four at the back all season. Four, two, three, one, to be and, precise. And against Fenerbahce, they decide to play three at the back. And one of the defenders that they used in the three at the back system is some kid that they haven't played since like March of this year. And to no one's surprise, this week they revert back to a four at the back. And that kid that I just mentioned did not play. Wow, how surprising. I think they I think they still ended up losing, but that's besides the point. Um <laughs> this week they lost. But um yeah, custom punch is gonna be tough. Hatai is gonna be tough. There's no easy games in this league, especially for Galsai. Everybody wants to beat the champion in the league, so this is a reality that we just need to accept. Yeah. Um but yeah, the Icardi situation is definitely tough. Let's see what happens and pray that he doesn't make things worse. But I, I respect Icardi. Um, Bro, I, I love Icardi. I, 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 I love I, him. I, yeah, I don't know, ahead. man. I was He's a club, <laughs> club legend for me at this point. Club legend. I'm telling you. I don't care if we didn't win a European <laughs> Cup yet. He's a club legend for me. Yeah, man. Every, every, every now and then, he does something to make us fall in love with him all that more. You know, randomly, we'd be waiting for the next game and he posts an Instagram video of himself playing Ashkun Olayim on the piano with the Gossai logo behind the piano. Like, Bro, he has Gossai. He's walking Gossai, bro. He has something regarding Gossai in every post he does, whether it's a shirt, a fan, something, anything. It's crazy. It's like, I'm like, is this, this feels too good to be true sometimes. Like, who are you, man? Like, you're, you're not even Turkish. You literally just joined us last year. Yeah, like bro. Who, who are you to all of a sudden make 30 million fans, Galsai fans, fall in love with you and millions of kids that probably don't even follow football that closely fall in love with you? Like, you see all the videos on social media with course. the kids in school of singing Bro, it's insane. Like, who are you? Where did you come from? And how did you do this to us? He, he literally... Kerem... Thinks he's some Harry Potter wizard, bro. Icardi <laughs> is the actual magician who casts some insane spell on us, and we've all fallen in love with him. But enough of that. I mean, yeah. we, how many times do we need to talk about falling in love with this man? Like Nazar Dejek. Like, I swear mash- to you. Mashallah. I hope he keeps it Knock up. on wood. There's no yeah, wood do, around me, guys. Do what, so you, do, do, what you, do what you need to do. But, you know, let's just hope he continues this way. Um. One yeah. thing I wanted to, wanted to touch on before we close it out, we wrap it up. Um, this game, we saw Ziyech play for the first time in a while. And 
I think of all the transfers we made apart from Sanchez, he gives me the highest hopes. Like I actually see like Ziyech, dude, this guy's extremely smart, man. And he's not that lazy either. People like, ha- like yeah. have that like idea that he's lazy, right? But he actually does work for the ball. And he mm-hmm. put a like pretty good performance in, if you ask me. It, like he was better than Mertens and creating chances. Like he put on Tete. So a real good one-on-one chance with the keeper. He missed, right? No one's mm-hmm. no one's uh, shitting on Tete, right? Because he should have scored that. But no, they, they remember Kerem who missed the, the, the follow-up chance. To be fair, Kedem's chance was a lot higher of an XG. <laughs> it was, it was. But again, dude, if you go look, the ball was too high. That's why. Like he, I don't know yeah. why he's trying to like kick it in. Why not just use your head or something, right? Because that ball like was really high. Or just control it with your chest first and just give it to Cardi. And speaking of a Cardi, you know, this shit happens to a lot of players. Unfortunately for Kedem, it happened two games in a row, but... Same game against this sport. It was all size, but Icardi found himself one-on-one with the keeper after deflection. Yeah, yeah. He tried to volley and he sent it flying like a, like a football, you know, what do you call it? I, I messed up my terms now, but he sent it flying. Like, what the fuck was that? If Kedem did that, everybody would be cursing at him. So, it happens time to time. Yeah, but Icardi is not going to have much of those, you know, misses. Also, he's playing injured. Let's not forget that. So, I can't really blame Icardi. For that's that true. shot, right? But like Tete, I can because that's the exact type of balls that he likes. He's one on one with the keeper. He Wasn't had it his on right his right foot. foot. Though? He's it a was lefty. on his le- he's lefty. No, yeah, he's a left foot. He was on the right wing. He yeah, but he sh- he shot that with his right foot, didn't he? I don't remember which foot, but he didn't need to shoot it with his right foot. Actually, I think I might he be wrong. I think he could have shot it with his left foot. Anyway, he he was in a more like good position to score like more comfortable position mm-hmm. versus Kedam if you ask me if you just go back and watch I, I'm not trying to like constantly protect Kedam Kedam definitely has a lot of issues and like John says he's not the best player he can be right now he's definitely not going to be that player that clutches for us that's what we're expecting from Tete and Zaha right who aren't really giving that performance yet but like Kedam is like a placeholder player at the moment we can't expect much from a player who just came from Erzincan Spore. Is that where he came from, if I recall? Get him, yeah. Yeah, for three years ago, guys. Come on, like, you can't expect that much from a kid who also lost two years of his life. But, yeah, he needs to improve. What we also need to improve, bro, why is our team so selfish before we close <laughs> it up? That's, that's, that's one thing, I, like, bro, we're extremely selfish. Like, Oliveira, before his lucky goal, he could have passed to his right, who someone was there that could have had a better shot on target. We, ha- we do that so often, bro. Why? Why? Drives me nuts. I think, I think this definitely applies to Sergio more than everybody else. But it's else, not only Sergio. Everyone does this, bro. Yeah, I think there's, number one... Huge expectations from the fans for every single player on the pitch, whether you're Cardi or Kerem, Tete, Zaha, Sergio off the bench, whoever it is, to perform. And what speaks performance than putting your name on the stat sheet with a goal or an assist? So I think a lot of players are trying to go after a little bit of self-glory, you know, score, take the shot when they maybe should pass. Um, 
I'm seeing that a lot more recently than I would like to. And it's it's unfortunate because there's a lot of passes that if we just stay a little bit more composed, play a little bit less selfishly, we would get into much better chances to score. But we're not doing that. So I would like to see that be addressed. Um, and I guess specifically for Sergio in this case, the kid, the dude has not been playing. I think after the game, he made a comment about it. Like, of course, I'm not going to be happy that I'm not playing. But I came on the pitch today, prepared, and I scored. And, you know, I, I guess he's hoping that the fact that he scored changes how his minutes are distributed going forward. You know, maybe in his mind now, because he scored, he's going to play. I personally would not look at that if I was Hoja. You know, it's more than just scoring goal. Sometimes you get an easy tapping goal. Sometimes you get a deflection goal. In the in the situation that Sergio scored, he probably should have passed that to Tete instead. I think there was a better opportunity there. Yeah. But um, I definitely would like to see the issue of selfishness be addressed. And all it's going to take is one win of unselfish football for everybody to realize that, okay, this is what we need to do. Um. Yeah, I, I think the competition's high and people are just trying to go, go get goals or assist themselves. Um, it's not ideal. I think Hoja definitely needs to address it and maybe take okay. away minutes from those who are playing selfishly, regardless of who that's, it is. That's, uh, it's hard to balance that, right? Taking away minutes and giving minutes so everyone is content and happy. There's definitely going to be people who, are, who just aren't happy. And uh, yeah. so far, I think the coach has done pretty well. In terms of that, there isn't many people apart from Nelson and uh, Oliver who are unhappy. But yeah. Yeah. Um, unless there's anything else that you want to bring up, I, I before we forget, I do want to bring up um, a listener question. So we did not take listener questions for this episode because as you can see, there was a lot to discuss. We had two games, one of which was a Bayern Munich game. But a new listener messaged us on Instagram. His name is Arda. Arda, shout out to you. Arda messaged us saying, I just found out, found you guys. I, I don't, you know, f I'm not as fluent in Turkish as I am in English. I've been looking for an English source for Galsai related news and discussion. And he's really happy that we found, he found us. And we're very happy that you found us as well. Uh, we appreciate the message. He had a question that I think we can address, Emre, and then we can close it out. I'll read, okay. it, I'll, I'll read it out. He said, um, maybe a point I would like you guys to discuss about would be sustainability in Turkish football. At the moment, we probably see one of the best Galatasaray squads we've ever had. I think everybody enjoys watching the matches at the moment, but I also have a constant fear that this could be over soon. I trust Okan and Erden, but as you know, in Turkey, clubs can deteriorate quickly for several reasons. Also, external reasons like the stupid foreigner rule. Um, so he's asking for our opinion here. I think it's a very good point. I do have the same fear myself, Emre. I'll, I'll leave this to you to start off. You know, we have this great squad. We're spending a lot of money, but there's TFFA involved. Other teams are building good squads. If we mess up, is is there the lost potential uh, possibility of the, the players maybe losing interest? Losing that hunger that we had last year. Look, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, what happened with Galatasaray back in the day? Let, let's let's just recap a little bit, and I'm going to bring another team into this, potentially another two. So Galatasaray, when we were in our prime back then, you had Unal Aysal and Fatih Tatum at the helm of the team. What happened was 
the little bit of issues, communications, and just like the respect wasn't there between them. And that kind of caused the, the team to spiral down. And with Unal Aysal, look, he was a good president for the time. He didn't make a lot of mistakes, but he wanted to make Al-Sara, as he said, sexy, right? And so what did he do? He spent way too much money. He put too much on, on a Like, I love Mancini, don't get me wrong, but he was just not perfect fit for us at the time. And what he did was he just kept bringing other coaches who were not basically, you know, meant for this league. And we just spiraled down, down, down. Now you bring, let me also bring in Besiktas, right? When Besiktas was at their prime, what happened? When when was that? It was during Chanel Gunesh and Fikret Orman, right? Fikret Oman got ahead of himself just like Unal Aysal. And what did he do? He spent more money bringing in big high profile names that didn't fit their team. And he kind of self-imploded the team from that point on. They've been on a decline just like we were from 2013 and onward, right? We hit our our absolute bottom like 2015, 2016 era, right? And then we brought Fatim Tere back, right? They kind of imploded like, what was it, 2017, 2018? And then they just started imploding, what, two years ago? And they finally hit the their, like, lifeline just, you know, it's gone. And they have to completely rebuild just like we did. So it's a combination of a lot of things. Wrong players, overspending, not having the right coach. And this is why I'm so adamant about our, our fans being patient. Be patient with Okan Buruk, bro, because he is the, the right coach for us. Just get to give him more time. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Neither was that team that had that run from 96 to 2000, right? Five, ten moments got fired then too, but the, the president stood behind them. Imagine if we had Twitter then, okay? So that's what I got to say about it. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, a little bit of reassurance and things that make things a little bit differently this time, Arda, is... Arden Tumur. Arden Tumur, absolutely. Before we had seemingly great presidents maybe they were great presidents you know they they had their flashy moments you know i saw dursun uh i think a huge lifeline for us at one point which was mustafa Cengiz. these people did right things but they were not necessarily long-time fans of this football club they with that comes the love and passion for this football club which we all share but it's also acting in the best interest of the club and maybe having to make sacrifices time to time or the correct decisions when things are tight and close or, you know, in detrimental times. Maybe you and I or some of you listeners will not be able to make these decisions because we're young or we're inexperienced. But Aradon Tumor, he checks off the box of making good decisions all of his life. He basically comes from nothing and i believe he's a billionaire or something he's extremely wealthy he has an extremely successful company that he built from ground up he has been a galsai fan fanatic just like you and me for a much longer time considering he's probably older than most of our listeners if summit was here I would ask him what the average listener age is, but I don't have that statistic next to me. But I assume he's older than the average listener of this podcast. So older than most of us. So he has seen the ups and downs just as much as you and I. And he like he has money. He has people that he trusts. Look at all the sponsors that he's brought. If things do go south, and it could happen, I trust Adam Tumor to make the decisions that are necessary 
to turn this club around. I trust the fans and the board, all the members who can vote at the elections to look at Adam Tumor and say, look, this guy, you know, to external reasons, for whatever reason, the club is going down south a little bit right now. But I trust this guy to turn things around just the way that he did when he first took over. He has exemplified this already. He didn't take a club that was already successful and continue to make it successful. He took the club at its worst point in recent history. And in a span of a year to a year and a half now, has brought it to exponential heights that it has not seen in quite some time. So if a guy can do that in such a short period of time, why can't he do it again? And even better, why can't he turn it around? Everybody is prone to making mistakes. Why isn't he? I think the majority of fans will be able to comfortably give their trust to him. There will be people who are against him. There will be people saying, if things go south. But I think the majority, and that's all you need, is to say, look, we stand behind him. Especially the very influential fans on social media. I think they have different levels of respect towards him to trust him if things do go south. So, Arda, I hope that answers your question. Um, and Emra, unless there's anything else that you want to add, I'm, I, I feel like we can kind of close this one yeah, out. Yeah, I, I, I agree with most of what you said. I love Adam, but I'm not going to blindly trust anybody, man. Like, I know he's done a lot of right, a little bit of wrong sprinkled in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you make a good point. Like, he is the ideal candidate for, you know, doing what's best for Galsaray at the moment. He's basically doing everything for Galsaray. And uh, yeah, with that said, our team is doing their best to keep us happy. Sometimes they might not play the best that they possibly can, but they are trying their best and it's up to us to support them. With that said, guys, happy Republic Day once again. This has been episode 68 of The Lion's Den. If you want to reach out to us, you can hit us up at The Lion's Den GS on Twitter and Instagram. If you want, you can get your own Discord invite to come chat and watch games with us from time to time. So yeah, take care and peace out. See you.